Hey everyone, and welcome to The Grind. You may be wondering what the hell is The Grind? And I don't blame you because we haven't done one of these in a really long time. The Grind is a show that I do by myself when Matt is out of town and we can't do an episode of Game Face. You're probably also wondering why I'm here at all. I said I was taking a vacation. I was gonna be out this week. Uh, As it turns out, things are just way too expensive. Um, A rental car is like 800 bucks for a week. Uh, And I'm probably gonna go home Labor Day. And so to do two trips when they're that expensive, one, I can't afford it, and two, it just seems crazy. So it looks like I'm not taking any time off again, unfortunately. That's the bad news. The good news is I'm here to talk to you about three games I've been playing. Let's check it out. All right, the first game I'm going to discuss is important, I believe, because this game has been getting pretty high review scores, and I played it, finished it, rinsed it, and I pretty much disagree with all the reviews. That game is Mario Golf Super Rush for the Switch. You're probably sitting there going, how, how badly can they screw up a golf game? Well, I first of all, I am a real golfer. I haven't played for a minute, but I've been playing since I was like 14. So I understand the sport of golf. I've also been playing golf games for literally like 25 or 30 years. And so I feel like I have a good frame of reference to tackle this game. And I gotta say, I disagree with a lot of what people have said about this so far. Also, full disclosure, I am a big fan of the Hot Shots Golf franchise, and I would say probably a lot of my reference for tackling Mario Golf is related to my experiences with that franchise. Um, And I believe that franchise does arcade golf really well. I'm just gonna say that right off the top. And so a lot of comparisons I'm gonna make to Mario Golf Super Rush are in relation to Hot Shots Golf, a franchise I think a lot of you guys have played as well. Uh, The first thing I really want to mention is that there's a lack of content for this game. You guys may remember Mario Tennis that came out for the Switch. It launched pretty low in features, and then over time they added stuff, although I would argue they still haven't added enough to that that game. Um, That's kind of the situation that you're in with Mario Golf Super Rush. Uh, The big single-player mode is called Adventure Mode, and it is like a single-player RPG in that as you play, you gain experience, and then you can use that experience and those points to boost your character in a number of different categories. The biggest rub, though, for the mode is one that there's really hardly any story. Um, Basically, you're a rookie golfer, you're trying to make your name in the Mushroom Kingdom as a big-time up-and-coming golfer, Um, And to do that, you need to go throughout the Mushroom Kingdom and play all the courses that are there. And the game is laid out pretty linearly. You play the beginner's course, you do well enough on that, you move on to the next one, and you keep going until you get to the end of the game. Um, So the plot is really basic. However, at the end, literally like the last third of the adventure mode, suddenly like a real story springs up, kind of. Wario and Waluigi are up to some hijinks. They're trying to find some kind of treasure or something, and you try to stop them. Again, this just pops up at the end of the game. Before that, it's literally just, hey, you're this new guy. Come to this course and prove that you're as good as the people who are supposed to be good. And then out of nowhere, at the end of the game, Wario and Waluigi show up, and then suddenly there are also boss fights that you take on. And that seems like a cool concept, but they're really poorly executed. So if you're looking 
for the story to push you through this mode, you can pretty much forget about it. There also are pretty much no cinematics. The ones that are there are really cheaply done. Uh, it's mostly just talking heads in text bubbles. So the story, again, not enough incentive to keep playing this. Um, the good news and maybe the bad news is that you do get to try out pretty much all the different match types while you're playing through the adventure mode. Uh, so there's normal stroke golf where just lowest score wins. Um, there's this weird thing called battle mode where you go to this like neon environment and you can basically go for any hole that you want. It, it ends up becoming a puzzle more than anything, figuring out which holes you should go through in what order. You get a little bit of a taste of that in the adventure mode. Uh, then you also get this other strange variant where they put you on a course and you can choose your any way your any way you want through the course. So you could start on hole one or whatever hole they start you on. Once you make that first hole, you can then choose to drive to any hole after that. That's also a puzzle to put together. But one of the things they do there is they make one hole way out of the way of the other ones. And you have to figure out how you can get yourself all the way out there and then finish the whole course in the minimum number of strokes that they can give you. But I think probably the mode or the, the the variant that is most popular and prevalent in this game and the ones that you probably won't wonder about because it is Mario Golf Super Rush is Speed Golf. Speed Golf, the best way to describe it is like Mario Kart Golf. So everyone swings at the same time. Um, when you start, everyone drives and then it's a dash to get to your ball. And whether you win a hole or not is a function of how many strokes it takes and how long it takes you to do it. So after you tee off at the box, it's a dash to get to your ball. While you're running for the ball, you have like a turbo that you can use. Um, and there's also like this special dash that you can use. It's also kind of an attack. Um, and then laid out on the course, there are gold coins. And then as you collect coins, that gives you the, the ability to pull off your special shot. And then there are also hearts. If you collect one of the hearts, it gives you an extra amount of boost that you can use or turbo that you can use. And kind of stringing together the hearts generally will get you to your ball turbo 100% of the time. Um, later on in the game, as you start leveling up your attributes, and some of the attributes are related to how fast you can run. So you have a speed, um, you have a, the amount of time that your turbo lasts. Um, and if you aren't boosting those up all the time, you can still mostly get to your ball just linking together the hearts. Now, also, as the game wears on, the opponents get a little smarter. So they'll start attacking you as well with their special dash. They'll start getting ahead of you and taking the coins and the hearts before you can get to them. But for the most part, you can pretty much gobble all those up yourself, set yourself up for special shots, and also making sure that you're getting to the ball as quickly as possible. I do like the tension that this, this mode kind of brings to the whole game. Um, you're kind of under the gun to make shots. You can't really spend a lot of time on each one or you'll end up holding out way after the other guys. And even if you get a, a birdie and everyone else got par, if you take too long, they can actually still win that hole. So it does give you a lot of stuff to consider that you probably haven't experienced in other golf games. And I like that about it. As far as the nuts and bolts of the game go, there's the golf adventure, as I talked about. There's a solo challenge mode, which is basically just you playing by yourself in score attack or, and or time attack. Uh, and then as far as the different types of golf games go, there's standard golf, like I said, just count your, your strokes. There's speed golf, which I just talked about. There's a battle mode. And then there's network play. 
The Network Play has both online and local options. And you can either start your own room and have people join it, or you can try to join someone else's room. Now, I had horrible issues trying to connect to someone else's room. Literally, it worked maybe one out of five times. Um, However, if I would start my own session and just leave it open, it would fill up with people right away. So I don't know if it's a problem on my end. It shouldn't be. I play online games all the time on all the platforms with no issues. For whatever reason, Mario Golf Super Rush seems to be having an issue. Um, Lag is definitely there, and a lot of it depends on what connections the people that you're playing with are using. Uh, But it's not as bad as I expected. And as you might expect, lag is really important in an online golf game because you're using a swing meter. Speaking of the swing meter, that is another thing about this game that is way different from most most other golf games. Um, It's not that the meter is all that different. It's more in how you put spin on the ball or how you hook or slice the ball on purpose. Um, So there's a meter that goes from the bottom of the screen to the top. And the game will put a flag kind of in the meter, letting you know kind of the rough area of where you should be setting the power. And a lot of games, like Hot Shots Golf, for example, when you're doing your shot, if you want topspin, you hold up on the D-pad while you're going through the meter stuff. And if you want backspin, you hold down on the D-pad while you're going through the meter stuff. It's different in this game. If you want to set topspin, there's one button that you hit when you set the power. And then if you want to set backspin, there's another button that you hit when you set the power. And basically, if you want super top spin, when you set the power of your shot, you double tap that button. And if you want super backspin, you double tap the backspin button when you set the power of your shot. So it's a little different. Also, how you set curves in most golf games, you set the curve before the shot. You get it how you want it. You just let it there and then you swing. In this game, you're setting the curve while you're swinging. So... Once you initiate the first meter going up, you hold the left analog stick, either left or right. And the more you hold it, the heavier the curve, the slice, or the hook, whatever you want to call it. So you're multitasking during the swing. You're actually like triple tasking because you have to set the meter. So you're setting the power of the shot, however you want it, depending on where the hole is. You have to adjust for the wind, obviously, like in other golf games. But then you're also double tapping the button for for more topspin, double tapping the button for more backspin, and holding the analog stick left or right to set the curve of the shot. And also, when you're playing in the adventure mode, that's something else you have control over. Um, You can actually boost your attribute for curve if you want to be more accurate with your curves. It's a lot to get your head around. Um, I'm not a fan of the double tapping for the spin. I feel like just holding the D-pad is fine. If it's not broke, don't fix it. However, I do think the way they're handling the curve in this is something that other golf games should probably emulate going forward. It feels more accurate and more realistic. And now again, this is Mario Golf. No one no one expects this game to be a sim. Um, but I do think that other sim golf franchises can take a look at how they do the curving in uh, Mario Golf and maybe tweak it a little bit um, because it is pretty sensitive. It's kind of hard to just barely hold the analog stick while you're doing all this other stuff. It's like playing drums, honestly. Um, if you ever try to play drums in rock band, getting your feet going with your hands is kind of this thing that you learn and you eventually break through and you can do it. This game is kind of the same way. I would also say if you're smart, you don't have to use curves all that much. Uh, that's really something that you probably want to pull out when you're playing online with other people who are really good. Playing against the AI in the game, it's not so difficult that you really need to use the curves all that much while you're playing. 
And kind of returning to the adventure mode or speed golf, there's some nuance to it too. Like I called it Mario Kart golf earlier. You can actually draft behind other characters. So if someone's running in front of you, you can get behind them and draft them and then get a little speed boost that will let you pass them. It's it's really like a golf game mixed with Mario Kart with like one power up. It's probably the best way I can describe it. It may sound like fun. It does start to get annoying. Also in the adventure mode, there's some light platforming involved. Like there's a couple areas where like there'll be patches of land with water in between and there'll be like lily pads in between the patches of land. And you have to kind of jump on the lily pads to get from one piece of land to the next. Um, there, it, the terrain affects your turbo or how much you're using your stamina. So if you're running in the rough, your stamina will go down faster. If you're running uphill, your stamina will go down faster. However, there's like this goofy thing where you can just run wherever. So you can run off a cliff that's literally like 200 feet high and fall down to the ground and nothing happens. It's, it's bizarre. It feels like this idea that they only kind of worked out and then they started play testing it and they're like, well, it works. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it works. And that's probably the best way to describe speed golf in Mario Golf Super Rush. Um, I was talking earlier about the things that really disappoint me. Well, there's just not enough content. There are only six courses in this game. And the first one is like the rookie course. It is a course, but it's so basic. Like I, I, I struggle to try to include that in the course count, but we will for the purpose of this discussion. Six courses um, and you get through them pretty quickly. Um, and once you kind of master the gameplay, there's just not a lot to go back to. All those other modes I was talking about, like the battle golf and all that, literally I've tried them a couple times, got frustrated with them, and like never went back to them again. Uh, where this game is going to live and die, really, I think, in the long term, is with its online play. And the online play, as I said, lag is definitely an issue. Connecting is definitely an issue. I mean, let's be honest, Nintendo Online has been an issue for a really long time with Switch. And it hasn't really been improved, it doesn't seem like, for Mario Golf, where lag is really, really important. People could argue Smash Brothers lag is really important there, too, and they didn't fix it for that either. Um, so Nintendo Online, still an issue for this, and I would argue that is where the bulk of your replay time is going to come from this. I finished the adventure mode. It probably took me six hours, something like that. Um, and, you know, they're, basically how it works is you go to a new course... You play like three holes, then three holes, then you'll play like a round of speed golf, and then you'll play maybe nine holes or maybe the full 18. And then once you do that, then you move on to the next course. There's a little gate that opens up and you move on. You have to collect licenses throughout the game. There's like six of them. And generally, once you finish a course, you get your license, which then unlocks the gate that lets you go to the next course where you repeat the process all over again. It, the adventure mode is not very fun just to be perfectly honest with you. The AI isn't very good. Um, a lot of times you can see the game cheating to let you win. Uh, you'll be playing against an opponent who is just killing it. Birdie, par, par, birdie, birdie, par. And then you get towards like the ninth hole where you're about to wrap things up and they'll just completely collapse in the last hole. <laughs> Literally, they'll have like eight shots to basically let you win. Again, I played it for quite a while and I did keep suffering through it, but that's my job, and that's why I kept playing it. Would I have kept playing the adventure mode if I didn't have to evaluate it for you guys? Probably not. 
what you end up with with Mario Golf Super Rush is a game that looks pretty. I mean, that's kind of the big disappointing thing, particularly in the adventure, the adventure mode. You go to a new course, you're like, wow. And there are, it's like the sand cores and the rainy cores and the snowy cores or whatever. And that stuff does affect your ball. Like if it's raining, the ball won't roll as much across the greens. That stuff all plays into it. But like when you're in the adventure mode, there's nothing to do. So you go to this new area and it's like the clubhouse and then like the practice area and then the actual course. And then maybe there's like a an alley or something that goes between those two. But there's nothing to do. There are characters everywhere and you can walk up to them and talk to them. But they just spit a bunch of malarkey. They don't say anything relevant. There's nothing really tied into the story until you get towards the end. They start tipping you off about... Waluigi and uh, Wario, how they're looking for treasure or whatever. But otherwise, most of the people there are just like, hey, you want me to teach you how to putt? Or do you want me to teach you how to do a lob shot? Stuff like that. Or it's just inane banter that has nothing to do with anything. So there's all these areas that look cool. There's just nothing interesting to do in them. I do anticipate eventually there will be new courses for DLC and new characters. Right now, there are 16 playable characters from the Mushroom Kingdom, which isn't bad. Um, there aren't, like, a lot of obvious, like, missing people who I'm like, oh, where's this character? Or where's that character? Most of the big boys are there, and girls. Um, but the courses are really, really the problem here. And there's no variance of the courses. You can't go through them backwards or mirrored or anything. There are just the six courses there, and that is really the bulk of what's going to keep you going in a golf game. Probably my biggest complaint about Mario Golf Super Rush is that you don't know what's going on. There are no replays. So if you hit an amazing shot, you have no idea. I hit a shot from like 200 yards out onto the green. It goes in. They say like, nice shot, nice chip in. There's no replay showing it. There's nothing. Even after you hole in, no replays. My other complaint is that there's no way to read the greens or the terrain. So while you're putting, there is the grid on the green, and it does show you, like, if, if the grid is red, that means it's going downhill. If the grid is blue, that means it's going uphill. But there's no free camera look in this game. Before you tee off, you can tap a button that will basically show you an overhead view of the course and where your ball is going to land and you can adjust it so you get it lined up right but when you're putting you can't take free control of the camera and really get a look at the green to see where the undulations are uh, see where the dips are it's really hard to read the greens in this and it doesn't celebrate your achievements like i got like an albatross which is like three under par the closer you can get to a hole in one there's no celebration there's nothing like after the hole is over, like, your character will go nice. And that's it. There's a lot of elements of golf games that have been developed over the years that are there for a reason. Because it makes the game exciting. It makes it fun. It celebrates you when you make a good shot. This game does none of that. It's like you hit the most amazing sh golf shot of your life, and they'll say, like, nice on. And that's it. You could be an inch away from the cup. And, like, there's no crowd noise that rises up. The announcers don't get excited. Nice on. That's it. So... There's a lot wrong with this game. It does do some stuff pretty well. It does innovate in a couple ways that I think could catch on with other golf games. But as far as buying this right now at full price, I would definitely steer clear. There's just not enough content. It's not all that fun. Um, so, yeah.
I would say pass on Mario Golf Super Rush. All right, next I'm going to talk about a game that I have been pleasantly surprised by as opposed to the opposite with Mario Golf Super Rush, and that is Monster Hunter Stories 2. Now, we recently uh, talked about Monster Hunter Rise, which was a, a Switch exclusive um, on Game Face and everywhere else. It's a huge game. It's done very well financially. Um, it did pretty well with critics. Um, so you kind of have a frame of reference for where I'm going when I talk about Monster Hunter Stories 2. Now, this is nothing like the base Monster Hunter games. There are similarities that I'll get to, but the overall gameplay loop and what you're doing in the combat, completely different. The biggest change is that this game is story-driven. If you're an RPG player and you really like stories in games, if you've played Monster Hunter, then you know. The story there is virtually non-existent. It's dumb. You basically have to turn your brain off and just be happy killing the next really big monster. That's really what Monster Hunter is about and playing with your friends. Uh, monster Hunter Stories 2 is story-driven. It is also a turn-based RPG instead of an action RPG. Uh, the plot in this game, you are a young person in your village who is coming of age. You are the descendant of your grandfather who was a legendary monster hunter. And he is now gone I haven't got far enough to know exactly what happened to the grandfather. He's either dead or he disappeared or something like that. Um, but he was a big deal because everyone in the village knows him. And every time they run into you, they talk about him. And you are his descendant, so everyone has high hopes for you. Uh, what happens is in your on your island, there is a huge creature that has defended your island forever. Uh, and something is going on. When the game starts, a group of soldiers from another land have landed on the island. And they are hunting that monster. Um, they have heard reports that there's another monster that's causing problems, and they've stumbled across this one, and they're like, this monster's gone rogue. They're trying to trap it. Um, you save the monster, and the monster flies away. And that's kind of how the game starts. So your island has had this protector all this time, and now the protector is gone. And lo and behold, all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening. Monsters start fighting each other on the island. Basically, this monster had been creating harmony on the island, and now he's gone for reasons unknown. And the island has just gone crazy. And it's your job to figure out why to calm all the, the insane stuff that's happening on the island and to, of course, you know, come of age at the same time. Um, you have a chief of the island who gives you a lot of your objectives. You have another girl who is kind of, I don't, Kevin figured out if it's his daughter or what, but you have this young tween girl who's kind of already gone through what you're going through and shows you the ropes. So your first objective is to find a mount. Mounts are very important in this game. Um, unlike the base Monster Hunter franchise where you get like a dog and that's all you get, you can ride the monsters in this game and you can use them for traversal to get you all over the world. And so the first thing you do is you get your first mount and she hands you the mount. Your mentor gives you a mount that she has extra lying around and for the first battle or two you use that. Then it's time to get your own mount. And what you have to do to get new mounts in this game is you have to invade monster dens. And they're basically these little mini dungeons that are hidden all over the place. You'll find like a hole in the wall and you go in. You have to fight through a couple rank and file monsters and eventually you get to the nest area. Um, once you get to the nest area, there's a nest up there and there's a bunch of stuff that you can collect around the nest. When you go up to the nest, sometimes the monster won't be there. Sometimes it'll be there sleeping and sometimes it will just be there awake and ready to go. Um, it does not want you to steal its eggs. So if they're there, you have to fight that monster and defeat the monster first before you can take one of the eggs. If they're not there, you can go up and you can sort through. Usually there's a pile of eggs 
and you have this little cat creature that is your sidekick and he will rate the eggs and tell you whether the eggs are good or not. Uh, so you basically just go through the process of elimination. When you get a good egg, the cat will tell you, you'll get like this sort of mini cut scene showing light coming off the egg. Then you need to leave the nest area. And once you do that, you can put the egg in the bag on your mount and you can go, go on your own way. Now there are some times if you spend too much time sorting through the eggs trying to find the good egg, the monster will come back and you'll have to fight the monster then to get out of the lair. So anyway, once you have an egg or multiple eggs, you then go back to the village and there's a stable there where you keep all your monsters. They call them monsties in this game for some reason. And you can hatch the eggs there. Um, and then you can choose which mounts you want to use. In the amount of time I've played, I already have like eight mounts to choose from. And they all have different attributes and you also fight with the monsters. You can either fight with them separately and they do their own attacks or once you've built up a certain meter, you can actually mount your mount <laughs> and you can attack together as a team um, once you've built the synergy meter between you and the mount. And that happens infrequently during battles, but it, it does happen. Um, and that's sort of how the monsties or the monsters work in the game. Now the combat, as I said, it is turn-based combat and I haven't quite figured it out. It seems like most of the time you're going to be fighting by yourself, but sometimes your mentor comes along with you. And I do hope that that's more prevalent throughout the rest of the game because that's when the combat gets really exciting. Um, so it is turn-based combat. When you first start any skirmish, you choose your first attack from three different categories. There's power, there's speed, and there's tech. And it is the rock, paper, scissors mechanic where one cancels one, and that cancels the next one, and that cancels the next one in a full wheel cycle. And so once you choose that attack, and the enemy also chooses its attack type, you rush at each other. And whoever has, has chosen the attack that trumps the other one will get the advantage and do more damage on that initial attack. And that aesthetic plays out through all the battles. Um, every attack matters, whether the enemy is using a speed attack or a power attack or a tech attack. What you choose makes a difference in how much damage is dealt to either you or the enemy. Um, once you are kind of into the heat of a battle, a bunch of different stuff can happen. Um, the first is, as I said, you can end up on your mount and you can attack with your mount. Um, you can also form synergies with your mount where you, if you both choose the same type of attack, you will attack together. And then if you have someone else in your party that also has a monstie, you can do team up attacks with them on their monsties. So if you both do synergies at the same time, you can do these insane attacks where it's like both of you mounted combining your special attacks together into these just like earth shattering attacks. The creatures, now once you kind of learn what each creature does, you can guess what type of attack they're gonna do first at least. Um, and so if they're a big lumbering guy, you can guarantee they're pretty slow and they're not going to use a speed attack. So that eliminates one of the three for your first. And then after you see what attacks they use, you know. So you can almost win the initiative every time once you kind of learn the attacks of the enemies. However, there are some wrinkles. So enemies can have armor. They can also have um, special sort of abilities in their attacks. So one enemy will dig up dirt and it will hold a rock in front of it for defense 
And what you want to do is you want to attack that rock to take down the, the defense before you continue attacking the creature. And certain weapons are better for that. For example, a hammer weapon is better for destroying the rock. So the other, another cool thing is you can switch between weapons mid-battle. Um, so if a creature does suddenly build this sort of stone shield, you can immediately switch to your hammer and then use the hammer to break that rock and then switch back to your sword or whatever whatever else you're using to continue attacking that creature. And then the other part of it is, is that there are certain body parts that will say, allow monsters to poison you. Um, the first one we came across had a tail that spit out acid. And so what you want to do is you want to attack the tail. Um, and there's an interface built into it so you can select which body part you want to attack. Once you've taken out that tail, you can't be poisoned anymore. So there is some nuance to the combat in this. It is a little different. I did not play the original Monster Hunter stories on 3DS that much. So I don't look, this could all be the same as that game. I'm guessing a lot of you guys didn't either and you're like me and you're coming into this new. But that's how the combat mostly works in the game. Um, as far as side quests and extra stuff to do, there's plenty of it. So there's a quest board in the village in sort of the central hub. Um, you can go up and you can accept quests on that board. The cool part though about it is, is you can also finish the quests at the board. So say a quest is like, go out and get a bunch of herbs or find some bread or find some raw meat or whatever. Once you've found it, you don't have to like find that one person that like gave you that quest and turn it into them. You can just go to the board and you can turn it in right there. I um, mean, that's very nice, very convenient. For those of you who just go out and collect a bunch of stuff and when you come back, you're gonna be pleasantly surprised because you may not have even thought that you accomplished any of the side quests, but you did because you collected just the right amount of stuff that you needed to satisfy one of them. And then another sort of side quest thing that you can do at the quest board is that you can basically do arena battles. And it's just basically you and your monsty against a creature. And as you defeat one, another one will open up and so on and so forth. Um, there's also crafting in the game, though crafting is actually pretty kept to a minimum. So your armor is just a set of armor. You're not collecting like a helmet, and then a chest piece, and then greaves, and then boots. They're all just complete armor sets. And this is one area where it feels most like the other Monster Hunter games because you have to collect parts from specific monsters to create that monster's armor set. Um, so that is the thing to me that strays most closely to the base franchise Monster Hunter games. Um, and then at the stables, you can manage all your mounts, your monsties. Um, you can't level them up or do anything like that there. And they like feed them and take care of that. So you're not like micromanaging them or anything. Uh, but you can set a couple things, like a couple customization things there. Um, and that's where you go if you want to set them in a party. Because the other thing about the monsties is you don't just have one. You can have, I think, up to five monsties in your party at any time. And... It's kind of important because the way the levels are gated, they're gated by monsty abilities. So um, one monsty can jump and you'll find these stone pads everywhere that you can just jump on and they'll automatically do the jumping for you. Um, there's another monsty that can climb vines. So you'll come to places where there's a wall with vines going up. And if you don't have that monsty with you, you can't make progress. You can't climb up the vines. And it's so far I've uncovered like four different abilities you need from monsties to traverse basically through the world completely um, and so that's important and the other thing too is if you have 
five monsties in your party, they level up. Even if you don't bring them into battle, they will level up as you win battles. So you need to go to the stable, fill up your roster of monsties to take out into the field with you, and then you can swap through those at will as you're trying to get to new areas of the world, or they'll level up even if they're not in combat as long as they're in your party. So I am having a ton of fun with this game. Um, I'll say this too, there's a free demo on Switch right now. This game is also coming to PC, and I don't think the demo is on PC, I think it's only for Switch. The demo is huge. I've played like three hours of this game, and it still hasn't ended. And I wanna go back and I wanna play more and see where it actually does end. Also, your saves will carry over to the final version of the game when it comes out, so it's not like you're wasting your time playing the demo. Uh, the demo's not huge, it won't take up a lot of space on your Switch hard drive or your SD card, whatever. Um, I have not played a turn-based RPG for a while. Like, it's been since Persona 5 since I really got into one, and I'm kind of getting there with this one. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of hooked. Um, the writing's pretty good. There are still, like, some Japanese moments. There are some grunts and some moans here and there, and there are times where the, the voice acting doesn't match the, uh, the animation, the facial animation in the game, but the voice acting is really good, and the writing pretty good um i have not really groaned or moaned about lot a lot in this game where like someone delivers a line and i'm like ugh like eye rolls my eye roll quotient has been really low on this game and it may appear that it's targeted towards younger kids and i think it is compared to the base monster hunter franchise i think they are trying to target at least a somewhat younger audience with this game but i don't feel like offended playing it as an adult i will say this it's been easy so far but this game, this demo is so big that I am really thinking this is going to be a big game. Like this game, I don't think it's going to be Persona 5 size, which thank God, I don't want to play another RPG that big. But it does seem like it's going to be pretty meaty. Otherwise, I really don't think they would have given you this big of a taste for free. So Monster Hunter Stories 2, I'm really enjoying it. There's a free demo right now on the Switch eShop. The game launches in early to mid-July, so not much longer to wait. And based upon what I've played so far, it's looking pretty good. All right, the last game I want to talk about today on the grind is Neo The World Ends With You. This game also has a demo on Switch right now and also a really big demo. I've been playing this game for a long time and it just keeps going and going. And also like Monster Hunter Stories 2, whatever you do in this demo carries over to the final game. However, I am not enjoying this game as much as I am enjoying Monster Hunter Stories 2. Um, if you remember, The World Ends With You was an RPG for the DS. Also, it's an action RPG. And if you, if you remember back to like the DS era, there weren't a lot of action RPGs on that platform. They were mostly turn-based RPGs because they work well with handhelds. Well, it was an action RPG, and this sequel, Neo, is also an action RPG. And I think the first thing I would say about it is that it is really a lot like the first game. And I think for some people that will make them very happy because a lot of people look for sequels and they're like, I hate sequels that don't feel like the original game. Well, this one definitely does. It is a turn-based RPG set entirely in Tokyo. Uh, you go through all the big popular districts in Tokyo, Shibuya, Harajuku, Shinjuku, um, Akihabara. You basically go to all the tourist spots in the city and you're playing from the perspective of Tokyo youth. Look, I love hip hop culture. I love dance music culture. I love graffiti culture. This game should be made for me. That's really what this game is. It's kind of like hip hop kids in Tokyo. So there's a lot of graffiti elements in the game. The art style is very graffiti-like. 
A lot of the characters that you run into are people that you would typically associate with, like, the hip-hop scene. Lots of people wearing hoodies and um, lots of graffiti writers, people who are basically throwing up political graffiti tags all over Tokyo. That's kind of the vibe of the game. You play as, like, this tween boy and his best friend, um, and along the way, you meet other nefarious characters that join your party. Um, and the combat is all in real time. But the crazy thing is, it's also a party-based RPG. So you may be wondering, well, how the hell does that work? There's actually a pretty ingenious way that they handle this. Ingenious but limiting. So every character in your party, they're always out in the field fighting. But each one is assigned a button. Um, so... One character is X, another one is Y, one is R1, one is L2, and each character has just one attack that they can pull off. And the trick to the game is cycling through all your party members to deliver attacks and then do it in a sequence based upon their cooldown time so that you can keep the chain going. So. Maybe one of your party members has a really devastating attack, but it takes a long time for the cooldown to subside. So you want to start every battle with that guy. So you fire off his attack. Then you start going through your other characters where the cooldown is a little faster. And hopefully, by the time you get through all those other characters, the cooldown has finished for that character that has the devastating attack. That is kind of the ebb and flow of the game. There's also a music and rhythm element in the game um, where you can attack to the beat and you get bonus points and then if there's a meter that builds if you're doing really well kind of using your entire team there's a meter that builds and then once you that meter hits its hilt you can hit the a button and that's when you like bring like the crazy like over the top finishing attacks um the structure of the game is weird so as i said you go through all these different districts of Tokyo, um, and generally there are like these walls and vines that are up that will keep you going from specific area to another one until you've satisfied a set of conditions. Um, and once you do that, the, the vines will come down, you can go to the next area. But the camera is fixed, so you have no control over the camera at all. It follows, and in, in for combat or for just traversal or whatever. And the developers, have tried to add too much style to it. So a lot of times the camera will be along the ground and you're kind of peering up as your character is running in 3D space. It can get very awkward. You can run into pedestrians, things like that. Um, I'm not a fan of it. I wish I could look around in this game because it's Tokyo. It's a place you want to be able to see. But most of the camera angles are fixed, but you're still trying to move in a 3D space and it can get pretty annoying. Um, random encounters in this game. There really aren't any. So there's a thing that you can do where you can tap a shoulder button and you can scan the area. When you do that, that's when you can see the enemies that are there in the world. And you can choose. Um, you can avoid them if you want to. If you run up to them, they will kind of come down and swarm around you. And that's when the battle is on. Now, one thing that you can do in this game, if you don't want to do these battles one by one, you can keep running around and keep allowing enemies to basically suck down onto you and then it creates like a chain battle um so you fight the first enemy and you may see one enemy but a lot of times that means it's actually four or five so you fight the first group of enemies and then it stops you get your experience from that fight and then the next one starts it's a good way to just kind of get through or clear out enemies from an area without having to like do a battle go through all the rigmarole of it now run over here now do another one you can go and kind of scoop them all up and um and do it at once 
And then also, if an, an enemy is running after you, you can just turn off the scan and they'll disappear. So you have total control over when you battle. You don't know what you're going to battle because they all the enemies look the same. They're kind of like these red ghosts. Um, and then once the battle starts, that's when you figure out exactly how many enemies they are and what the enemies are. Uh, there's another weird element in the game called remembering. Um, basically, there are these little puzzles where you spin the analog sticks to make the picture come into focus and you remind people of stuff that they had forgotten. Um, as far as learning new attacks are concerned, as I said, every character has one attack equipped. But after you're outside of battle, you can choose what attacks to equip and they work across your whole party. And each attack is a pin, like a collectible pin. So as you win battles or you meet characters or you accomplish goals, um, you finish quests, you get new pins. And then you go into the menu and you assign the pins to your characters. And a lot of that is all the strategy and figuring out which guy I want to go with first. And will all the attacks work with the timing and their cooldowns? A lot of that stuff you have to figure out just through trial and error. The game doesn't really give you enough feedback um, to help you make those decisions just based upon uh, the information that it gives you. So you may be sitting there going, Shane, like, I don't understand why you're down on this game. One... There's all kinds of strategy to the combat. And again, this may just be because it's a demo and I'm early in the game, but like it really doesn't matter that much. What I've found in this game is the the more I think about combat, the worse I do. The more I try to strategically plan combat, the worse I do. I've found that honestly, just button mashing solves most of the, the conflicts more quickly than trying to be strategic about it. And then as I mentioned earlier, the fixed camera angles are annoying. Um, the graphics, they look good when they're sitting still, but on a technical level, they're not that impressive. Um, it is an art style, so to speak, but it's just low poly in general. And it is Switch, so you know you have to consider that when you look at visuals. I like the art style. Technically, it doesn't look that good. Um, the camera angles make it annoying to play. Um, and the story is just... Like I said, it's set in this weird like youth culture, hip hop scene thing in Tokyo. And they just blather on and on about any crap. And you can skip it, but I've just found myself going just going through it because they just don't say anything of any consequence. The stuff that matters will show up on a screen, like your quest screen saying, you need to go here and do this. So you don't need to listen to any of it. And then there's just tons of like, text messaging and cell phone calls and this girl who's anti-establishment who's in Harajuku and you need to go talk to her and convince her that her political graffiti is a bad idea it's all that kind of stuff I never found myself connecting to the characters the plot uh, the setting sure because I love Tokyo I've been there a bunch of times and any game set in that city has an intrinsic value to me um, and you would think this would too because I love hip-hop culture and breaking and graffiti writing and rapping and all that stuff but it's just I think it just misses the mark on that stuff um, like if this game were made by a bunch of people from Brooklyn like I think I would probably like it a lot better uh, there's this weird kind of lost in translation thing about what American hip-hop culture is versus what Japan thinks it is so it's very stylized there's moments that are very slick i do like a lot of the attacks they're very inventive a lot of them are elemental and there's the whole like this enemy is fire i'm going to use an ice attack on him the basics of any rpg and the combat you know maybe when you get later on you have to be the strategic part of it matters more 
Uh, but in the early going, it really doesn't matter at all. Button mashing just kind of wins the day. And in all honesty, it makes the game look a lot more fun and exciting because there's just stuff going on. Because you can hit two buttons at once and both your guys will attack at the same time. Uh, and there's some fun in that for sure. Um, but overall, I've just not enjoyed it as much. Having that and Monster Hunter Stories 2 at the same time to play, I just find myself going back to Monster Hunter over and over again and uh, struggling to want to play this more. So again, there is a free demo on Switch. You can give it a try for yourself. Again, the demo is big. You're going to get a good taste of this. This game is also coming out in July, so not much longer to wait for it. So if you want to give it a give it a try and you want to have a taste of it before you decide whether you want to pull the trigger or not, there's plenty of game there in that demo to sink your teeth into. All right, that's going to do it for the grind. I honestly can't remember the last time we did this. I think it's probably been a year and a half or two years or something like that. Um, one thing I do like about it is these can be better produced. Like our B-roll can be better. It can be cut to what I'm saying instead of just showing random footage that we've kind of cut together before we come in and talk about it on Game Face. Uh, video quality is higher. Frame rate of the video is higher. Uh, so I do like doing this stuff. But we should be back on Tuesday with Matt back in studio. We will probably talk about Mario Golf again. Um, hopefully Matt has been spending some time with it. Um, and I don't know if we'll talk about Monster Hunter Stories 2 again, but I'll check in with Matt and see if he's on that as well. Um, as always, thanks to all you guys for supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sifted. Without you guys, we couldn't make this happen. Also, if you're looking for this in your podcast feed, you will find it in the Sifted Radio podcast. You will find it in the Sifted Radio podcast feed and you will not find it in the Game Face podcast feed because this isn't Game Face. This is something special. Uh, so anyway, everybody have a great July 4th, which is coming up. I'm really bummed that I'm not home to celebrate with my family. But that's life. It's like money doesn't grow on trees. So I have to be smart with how I spend my money. And unfortunately, it means that I'm still not going to have a vacation. But anyway, hope you guys have fun. Hope you're somewhere where you can hang out with people and uh, you can have a good July 4th. And for those of you overseas, um, you can just celebrate along with us. I know it's not your Independence Day. Um, but anyway, thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time. And hopefully it won't be two years before the next one. Take it easy.